Hey, we are uh, studying through the life of David, an absolutely just remarkable life. And uh, remarkable because uh, David is just this amazing, amazing guy. And when he is serving God, you and I stand back in awe in that moment and go, wow, if I could have even one moment in my life like that, if I could have a David moment in my life, that would be incredible. And yet, in the life of David, a man that Scripture describes as a man after God's own heart, I think the thing that may be just as equally surprising to us is the pendulum swing of, of this man's spiritual walk. And when David is on, he is on. And when David is off, he is miserably, miserably off. And we spent some time last week talking about uh, this sin with Bathsheba, this moment in which David goes out onto the porch in the evening, knowing what he's going to see when he gets there, saying to himself, I can handle it. I can handle it. I'll be okay. And yet the remarkable fall. And, and we marvel to say, how does a guy like that fall so far? How does a guy like that fall so quickly? And we literally, last week, just kind of went through and just did the step-by-step diagnosis of how you and I say to ourselves, I can, I can, I can handle this, and then find ourselves uh, caught up in sin. And this week, we're going to continue the journey in David's life because it could have been done. You see, it could have all been over with. And if David had responded to that not-so-great moment in his life the right way, the sin of Bathsheba would have been the sin with Bathsheba. That would have been the end of the story. But David's going to make choices today that continue the story. He's going to do exactly the wrong thing with his own personal failure. And and basically what's going to happen is he's going to decide, I need to cover this up. I've got to figure out some way to make sure that nobody ever knows what I just did. I've got to find some way to hide what I've just done. Now this is big for you and me. Because I know and you know that in those moments when we realize, boy, wow, I blew it and I, I did it. And man, now someone may find out. That our hearts immediately land on the side that says, how do I hide this? How do I cover this up? How do I make sure that nobody knows and no one gets disappointed and nobody ends up rejecting me over? How do I hide and cover my sin? And you and I are fully capable of doing exactly what David is going to do today. And here's why. Because deep within our hearts, you and I believe that we are smart enough That we're strong enough, and in some cases, that we are wealthy enough to cover the tracks of our sin. And that no one will need to ever know. No one need ever find out. And you and I are completely and fully capable of doing what David did in this occasion. Because there's a little bit of David in every one of us. But here's what you need to know, and here's the lesson of David's cover-up. David's decision to cover his sin is going to lead to 40 years of failure within his life. 40 years of struggle and heartache simply because when he blew it, he failed to have the integrity and the character to stand up and go, guys, I was wrong. And instead chose to hide it and to cover it up in his life. So if you have your Bibles this morning, go with me to the book of 2 Samuel. We're going to get a chance hopefully to learn from David's mistake. And do it better in our own lives. Second Samuel chapter 11. If you're not real familiar, Second Samuel is going to be kind of in the front of your Bible. David is an Old Testament character. 
You can go to the front, start working to the right, you'll get to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Let's just go ahead and catch up with what we heard last week, and then we'll move on. Here's what it says. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab. Out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Reba, but David remained in Jerusalem. And one evening, David got up from his bed and walked out on the roof of the palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanness, and then she went back home. Don't you know, at this moment, David's sitting alone in his palace, and he says to himself, "That that was dumb. I mean, wow. Wow. I'm never going to do that again. I mean, it was dumb in the first place. It's stupid. I did it. But no one knows. And if you could grab David at that moment, he'd just simply say, here's what we're going to do. I did it. I did it. But but we're just going to move on as if nothing's happened. Uriah doesn't know. I'm okay. I'm okay. Next verse. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. Well, you ever had one of those moments? <laughs> one of those moments when you, you did something, you, you knew you blew it when you did it, you knew it was a bad moment in your life, and you thought, <sighs> lesson learned. And then you realize others are going to know. They're going to find out. And, and, and the consequences and the knowledge of your sin looks like a semi-truck driving right for you. And in that moment, you end up with a choice. It's the choice that David had in that moment. In which you've got to say, okay, okay, now what do I do? I mean, word's going to get out. What do I do? Do I confess? Do I, do I go, I did... I, I did. I did it. I did it. it was, I, I shouldn't have. I know I shouldn't have. I did it. Do you confess? Or in that moment, do you conceal? Do you, do you cover it up? You know, it, it's that moment when you've told the first lie, and now people are beginning to question. They're going, well, now wait a minute. That doesn't add up. And what about this? And how about? And, and in that moment, you got to go, okay, now do I admit that I lied the first time? Or do I tell another lie? To cover it up. It's the boss who comes to work and you know and says, Hey, you know, the assignment, why isn't here? And the truth is, you just flat procrastinate. You didn't even like the assignment in the first place, and you put it on the back burner, and now the due date snuck up on you. And the story is the dog ate the homework, right? And do you confess? Do you go, look, I, I blew it. Or you stick with the dog story. You told your parents you were hanging around with the crowd, but you weren't doing anything. 
And now they found something in your backpack and you confess or you just holding it for a friend. Your wife's beginning to wonder. She's a little concerned. What do you say? And every one of us, every one of us has been in that moment when all of a sudden what we've done starts to come straight and we, and we have to make that choice. Do I, do I admit? Do I say it out loud? Do I cover it up? And here's the struggle. Here's the dilemma of that moment. Is that it looks like, by all rights, it looks like if I were to confess, if I were to admit out loud that I did that, that the consequences of confessing far outweigh any consequences of covering up. That, that, that if I were to admit it, if I were to say it, what would happen next? The shoe that would fall, the thing that... That is so much worse than anything that could happen if I were to cover up. And so... We convince ourselves that the best thing for everybody involved, so that no one's feelings get hurt, so that nothing bad happens, is just, just, just one more lie. Just one more lie. See, David's in the thing about this. David is absolutely in this moment. David's king of Israel. He's just committed adultery. Anybody know at this period of time in history what the penalty for committing adultery is? Anybody? Yeah, it's a rock party. And it doesn't involve music. You know, it's, they're going to stone him. I mean, that's, and, and the only chance that David has at a reprieve, you ready for this? The only chance that David would have to survive the confession is if Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, were to say, I forgive them. And so David in this moment says, oh, guys, come I mean, I know it was a bad moment. I know it was stupid. I know I shouldn't have done it. But confess it. Admit it out loud. I mean... The potential fallout, what would happen if I were to conceive this and say this out loud, is clearly so much worse than if I cover up. I mean, stop and think about this. I'm going to die. That's probably one downside. Israel would be without a king. And, And just think about this. I mean, all the good things I've ever done for God, wouldn't they be kind of tarnished? I mean, if this got out... So it's so obvious in the heart and the mind of David that covering it up is the smart thing to do and that confessing it would be absolutely dumb. It would hurt people. The fallout would be great. And it's obvious. And so David decides. He decides that the very best way to deal with sin is deceit. That when you've done something wrong, when you've blown it, the best response, the best antidote to sin is lie. Deceive bamboozle, do whatever you have to do, twist whatever you have to twist. But the best antidote for sin is deceit. And you realize that the moment you start down that slippery slope, that the moment I go to deceive to cover up my sin, that that deception will always require another deception. Because I say, well, you know, I didn't, but then and I thought, and then, and then someone says, but, and, uh, and then I go, well, no, that's because. And then I have to add another lie to cover the first lie that was to cover my sin. And, and then later on when someone comes back again, to, and then I have to tell a lie to cover the lie that I covered the lie that I covered the lie to cover the sin. It's kind of like Lay's potato chips. Anybody old enough to remember that? No one can eat just one. You can't just tell one lie. You know, every good lie deserves another lie. And here's what we imagine in our minds. You ready for this? 
We have convinced ourselves that if I can tell enough lies, if I can bamboozle and slime and sideways and trick and deceive long enough, that somewhere you cross this magic line where all of a sudden my sin goes, it's gone. There's some magic doorway that you can shuffle your way through and deceive people enough and fool them enough that all of a sudden you go through the doorway and you win. The lights begin to flash and sin doesn't count anymore. Yay, I got away with it. And so David decides the very best policy, cover it up. Cover it up. So here's what he does. He calls out to the front because Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, serving in the front. And he says to his general, hey, send back Uriah. And Uriah comes back and David says, you know, I just call and just check. And how's the battle going? To which Uriah says, king, I mean, what do you think? I mean, it's going great. I mean, we're on God's side. We're doing what God told us to do. I mean, what do you expect it to be doing? It's going great. David says, thank you, thank you. Thanks for telling me. Tell you what. Just take it easy. Don't try and go back. It's late in the afternoon. Why don't you go home, have a home-cooked meal, hang out with your wife for a little while, head back tomorrow. Now, see, here's David's thought. David's thought is, he'll go home, he'll be with his wife, the baby will come a couple months early, but hey, no one will be the wiser. David wakes up the next morning. Lo and behold, when Uriah leaves the palace... He only got as far as the servants' quarters, and he spent the night there. David says, what? Calls Uriah back in and says, Uriah, you know, what's going on? I mean, you're home from the front, you know, I've been fighting and stuff. Surely you'd go home. To which, here's what Uriah says. David, I'm just thinking all the king's men are at the front fighting, risking their lives, dying, The Ark of the Covenant is at the front and they're trying to protect it so it doesn't fall into enemy hands. How could I go home and have a home-cooked meal and sleep with my wife when all my friends are in the battle? I couldn't do it. David says, well, I tell you what, hang around tonight, come have dinner with me, you can go back tomorrow. So... This night, David sits him down at a banquet, gets Uriah drunk. I mean, drunk out of his mind. Banquet gets over. He takes Uriah. He says, go that way, buddy. Pushes him toward his house. David gets up the next morning. Uriah made it as far as the servants' quarters. David knows he's in trouble now. So David says, Uriah, Uriah, before you go, I got a message I want to send back to the general Joab, so here, take this, fills out a little document, seals it, hands it to Uriah. Next part of the story. Verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In the letter, get this, in the letter he wrote, put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is the fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck. You realize what David just did? David just handed Uriah his own death warrant. And David knew that Uriah had so much integrity, he'd never open the letter and check it out. Uriah's one of David's guys. And he uses that against him. 
So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. And when the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite fell. Now you get what happens here. They get up, they're fighting, they get too close to the city, they get closer, this is even strategically logical. Joab's doing this on purpose. And then at the last possible minute, the armies of Israel fall back and there's Uriah. And then Uriah's men, because chances are Uriah is an officer within David's army. We believe that because, remember, his house is sitting right next to the palace. Chances of that, he's probably an officer. So Uriah's men say, no, 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 we're not going to leave our captain. Stand and fight with him. So not only does Uriah die, but a bunch of Uriah's men die with him. And here's what David would say in that moment. more expensive than I thought cost a few more lives than I thought but dud now can we just get back to life as usual and here's what you and I need to get here's why God tells us this story because for the next seven chapters and you may want to go home this afternoon and just read the next seven chapters of Second Samuel. Because this decision, this decision to cover his sin, begins David in a downward plunge. He will spend almost 40 years recovering that decision. And, and here's what you and I got to get. Not the decision to sleep with Bathsheba. The decision to cover it up. And, and I, I can't give you all seven chapters, but let me give you a thumbnail. The baby that Bathsheba conceives will die. One of David's sons will struggle with sexual impurity in his life, so much so that he will end up forcing his sister. And David, hearing about it, is outraged. And Scripture doesn't completely tell us, but we're pretty sure David starts down the hallway to go get his son and say, How dare you? And midway down that hall he goes, Oh. Oh. My son's struggling. I did. And he turns and comes back. The brothers of the sister, so frustrated at David's impotence and lack of a response and lack of a stance, go and kill their brother. So now the sons of David have murdered their brother. The oldest son says, look, if my dad's that incompetent and my dad can't lead any better than that and my dad can't respond to something that's so obviously wrong, my dad doesn't deserve to be king. And he leads a rebellion against his own father. Hundreds upon hundreds of men die in the rebellion and David actually loses the kingdom for a while, let alone the respect of his children. And I'm here to tell you that if we could pull this chair up and have David come sit here today and speak a word to us, here's what David would say. Biggest mistake of my life wasn't sleeping with Bathsheba. It was what I did next when I went to cover it up. And if I could push rewind, if I could have a moment back, that's the moment of my life that I would take back give me back three sons 
It'd give me back the kingdom. It'd give me back the respect of others. And it'd give me back my own self-respect. And David would say to you and I, no matter what it is, no matter what you've done, no matter, no matter, no matter, admit it. Admit it. This is hard, isn't it? Why is that? Why is it why is it so hard for you and I just to go I did it. I did it. I did it. I, I, I lied. I lied. And I was wrong. Why why is it so hard to say I blew my temper, I said things that no one has any business I did it. Remember when I told you why the boss fired me? That wasn't really the truth. Why is that so hard for us? I think part of it is that uh, we're just terrified of the consequences. We we're, we're, we're live in absolute fear that if I were to say out loud and admit what I had done, that the consequences would be overwhelming. And so here's what we believe. We believe that somehow by covering it up, we avoid the consequences of what we did. Let me ask you a question. Do you really believe that? Do do you really believe that you can lie enough, deceive enough, convince enough people, and cover it up, and then not live with the consequences of what you did? That God's in heaven and He goes, Wow! Wow, that's so amazing. You were able to lie and deceive and twist and turn that. Man, everybody believes you. I am impressed. And I can't touch you now. I mean, man, who knew? See, here's the best you can hope for. You can hope for the very best is to bamboozle the people who are most directly involved and maybe deflect them from being the source of your consequences. But here's what you got to get. You can never stop the consequences. They're just going to come at you from a different direction. And some of us have spent a lifetime going, you know what, I can't figure out why stuff keeps happening in my life. I can't figure out why it feels like God is constantly disciplining me. And someone said to you, well, you know, could it possibly be that you've got something in your life and you haven't... No. No. Couldn't be that. And God's sitting over here with a hammer going... Why are you doing that to me? And and you realize as long as you stay that dense, as long as you deny... Because here's the truth. If if you've lied enough to keep the consequences from coming at you straight on, God's still going to bring them. And if you still ignore them... All God's going to do is go get a bigger hammer. And then, guys, if that doesn't work, right? So I can't avoid the consequences. Matter of fact, here, can I just tell you one of the smartest things to do in your life? If you're living your life and you go, wow, I just can't figure out why. Why? Why? Seems like I've got a perpetual spanking thing going on. First question, is there anything in my life, even if it doesn't seem connected, to which God may be spanking me to get my attention? 
I think another reason that we struggle so hard in admitting and confessing is that we're, we're scared to death that the people who love us might reject us. I mean, if we admit we did that, then what's my wife going to think? Or what are my kids going to think? Or are my friends still going to want to hang out with me if I tell them? You know, what's going to happen with that? And so what we fear is, is we think, I'll, I'll lose some friendships. I, I, may, I may get rejected by my friends. But if you stop and think about this a second, if you've lied about who you are and what you've done, haven't you already experienced kind of a sideways rejection? Because isn't it true that the people around you now love you for who you told them you were and not for who you really are? And don't they love the person you're pretending to be and not the person that's really there? I think some of us just don't do this because it's pride. I like everybody thinking I'm perfect. I like everybody thinking I'm all that in a cup of tea. And you you just need to hear me say, if it's pride, if it's pride that's got you and I doing the cover-up, you know what God's going to do with that one. I guarantee you, God will find the moment just go, there it is. There it is. And because you and I know people like that, right? You know people who were too proud to admit, too caught up in themselves, and God just said, no, 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 let me show. Let me show you. So here's the thing, God. If, if covering up doesn't work, and then think about this. Here, there's still more to this. There's still more that we experience when we choose to cover up. God gets distant. You're in that moment in your life going, Hi, I've been trying so hard in my Christian walk, and I think I've been doing all the right stuff, and God still seems to be like over there, and I just can't figure it out. Well, here's why. Because somewhere you bought in the idea that if you give God 90% of your life, but just keep this part to yourself and hide this in a closet somewhere, that God's going to be satisfied with the 90%. Wrong answer. And if God seems distant, could be because this is between you and Him. truth is when you and I do this it begins to work weird things in all of our relationships because the person that we lied to the person we deceived they kind of know right I mean they couldn't catch us because we were a better liar than they were a figure outer (laughs) and so we thought oh I won that but deep down in their heart aren't they going and I know something's wrong I can't prove it but there's something under that and the next time you speak and they wonder if you're telling the truth and what about and is he really and is she and I don't know if I believe that. And, it, and worse, if you get them to truly believe there's nothing under there, then they're going, well, what's wrong with me? I must be delusional, weird, overly jealous. What's going And you will drive a wedge in your relationships. And then there's the guilt. There's those quiet moments when you're driving along in the car by yourself. Man. Or you're out with some friends and someone says something and they don't even know, but they say something that's close and then all of a sudden your heart's going, or they say something and now you react and they don't know why you reacted and you can't explain why you reacted. And 
here's the bottom line. And here's what David would say to us today. And here's what you understand. And David would say, guys, I know, I know, I know. I know it looks like. I know it looks like being honest and confessing would bring more consequence. But take it from me. It is always more painful. It is always more hurtful to cover up in your life. So now we're all sitting here and we're ready to slit our wrists. <sighs> I came to church to get blasted. I'm <laughs> out of here. You go, what do you do? What do you do? I mean, we've already done and now what? Confess. Admit. Go back. And say it. Remember when? Remember I told you? Remember I blamed you? And guys, you realize blame is one of the ways we cover up, right? I wouldn't have done it if you hadn't. And the answer is... Despite what you did, I did. And I was wrong. And here's what I was hoping. I was hoping you would consider forgiving me. And loving me anyways. But if not, I had to know that I had told you. And guys, what looks like death... What looks scary out of your and my minds is life. It's life. How many times have you had someone wrong you? And you have sat and waited and waited and waited and simply said, All I need is for them to come admit it. And we could be okay again. And guys, I'm just wondering how many people there are in our lives who have sat and waited and waited and waited for you and I to come back and said, if they would just call it what it was, we could move on. We could be all right. Let me see if this helps. 20 years ago, I'm a young youth pastor, one of my first youth groups. The guy who had preceded me amazingly popular. I mean, he was just the coolest guy. And then they hired me. And I'm just going to tell you, the kids didn't want me. They wanted him. But the church has decided that he was a little too far out there and they had dismissed him and hired me and the kids had absolutely no choice in it. I just showed up one day and they were thrilled. And about three months into it, I thought, I realized I, I'm in trouble here. These kids don't want me. They're still waiting for the other guy to come back. The best thing in their minds is for me to leave. And I'm in trouble. And we were getting ready to go up to a winter camp. And I just thought, you know what? I, I, need, to like, I need to do like some Hail Mary of coolness. <laughs> I need to do something that these kids are all going to go, Oh, Lynn, you are the man. You're the man. We didn't know. So I get up to camp, and we've done this whole chapel service together, and 
we get done with chapel and I turn to the girls and I said, look, gals, this has been a great, you guys just stand here and pray a little while. The guys and I, we're going to go to somewhere else. We're going to pray a little while. We'll meet up afterwards. So the girls stay to pray. We all leave. The guys leave. We get walking down the trail just a little ways and I turn to the guys and go, we're not praying, man. We're going to do something totally cool. We're going to raid the girls' cabins. So sure enough, I take all the guys up to the girls. We grab everything in their rooms. And then I'm thinking, well, now what do you do? I mean, we got all the stuff. and So it occurs to me, we'll put it in the church bus. That would be safe. So I open up the emergency door on the bus. I say, guys, let's just put it all in the bus. Guys are walking up with all the girls' stuff. And you hear perfume bottles through the bus. Blow dryers through the bus. See, you're catching on. I'm standing there going, this is cool. I'm so cool. The girls went back to their cabins. Now, this, this still to this day, I can't. They didn't think it was very funny. They were mad. We, we ended up in a meeting. <laughs> Thirty teenage women were there to share with me. Thirty teenage young men whose women were now mad at their minds. <laughs> and can I just tell you honestly in that moment, you want to know what my heart said? My heart said, deny, 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 deny. Lisa made me do it. <laughs> my heart said, blame. Blame, blame. And I just wanted to, I wanted to see those kids, look, 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 look. If you guys had been decent to me and had accepted me and had treated me well, instead of like dirt, I wouldn't have had to try so hard. And guys, I call it a brief moment of sanity. Call it God protecting. But I looked at those kids and I said, You're right. I did it. It was stupid. And I was wrong. Would you consider forgiving me? The conversation then went on for an hour and a half. Can I tell you that something remarkable happened in that hour and a half? Those kids let me off the hook. And they began to cry. And they said these words, Lynn, we forgive you. And something else happened in that hour and a half. I went from the outsider to being their pastor. And I walked out of that chapel with a youth group.
And can I tell you that we went on to three and a half years of some of the most amazing ministry together. And guys, I am just here to tell you, David would tell you, what you think is so hard. And when you look and say, no, 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 admitting it would be so horrible. It's life. It's your only hope. It's your recovery from here. Let's bow our heads. Some of us in this room have some phone calls to make. Some of us have an appointment to keep. And we need to find our wives and say, hey, let's just go have some coffee. Or our husbands. Or our kids. Or a co-worker or a friend. And, and we need to go back and say, hey, remember? And remember I said? And here's the answer. I was wrong. And you don't go back to say, you know, you were sort of wrong and I would... No, no, no. You go back and you just say, look, i, I got to own up to what's mine. This isn't about what you did or didn't. I, I just need to tell you that I own this and I was wrong. And I had a hundred ways to blame you and I had a hundred excuses, but the bottom line is I was wrong. And I've been trying to live my life as if I wasn't and the answer is I was. And I need to ask you, could you, could you, could you consider forgiving me and maybe loving me anyways? And those of us in the room that need to do that know who we are because our hearts are beating and the Spirit's convicting. And now we're at the crossroads. Do I confess? Do I cover? Dear Lord Jesus, help us, help us, help us to have the courage. Help us to learn from a guy like David. That's the whole point of the story. Just don't cover up, don't cover up, don't cover up. Because it's always more expensive to cover up than to confess. And as scary as confession is, it's life. It's our only chance at restoring relationships and healing broken hearts is to confess. And God, some of us have kidded ourselves and said, if I confess to God, then that's enough. And we have left people in our lives waiting and hoping that one day we would have the integrity to come back and say, I was wrong. I was wrong. And I just need to say it out loud and I need to ask your forgiveness. I need to ask, would you consider loving me anyway? Oh God, there's a little bit of David in all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. I guarantee you there's someone here who's standing at that crossroads. There's just no way. There's no, you don't, you don't get it.
and I'm sorry. There's probably some teenagers in here who go, man, I can't, can't do that. My parents would kill me. They won't kill you. You may limp a little bit. You may spend an incredible amount of time indoors. But what if at the other end, there's forgiveness? Then that's worth it. Let's bow our heads. There's Jesus. See, we've, we've convinced our hearts that covering up is way less painful. That, that not just for us, but that others wouldn't be hurt. It's in their best interest that they never know. It's a lie. It's a lie of convenience. It's a lie of fear. So we're just going to pray today and say, would you give us courage? Courage to make that phone call. Courage to set an appointment. And to simply go to those that we've hurt and wronged and covered up. And say, I did. And it was wrong. And I need your forgiveness. And I'm even going to ask, would you consider loving me anyways? God, there's some of us who our hearts are pounding. Because we know this is it. And we know this is the next thing in our lives. Would you keep our hearts in conviction till we pull the cover back? This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you for being here. Some of you are going to want to talk. I'll be at the front. We'll spend time.